Daniel Ricciardo was not the only Australian to win on Sunday at Monza as Oscar Piastri made a big statement by owning the Formula 2 feature race just hours before. I'm Craig Willard and I'm here to discuss all the racing and reaction from the Formula 2 weekend on this week's Formula Scout podcast with Alejandro Alonso Lopez, Bethany Waring and Roger Gascoigne. So I think we should kick off with Formula 2, obviously. Um, that's uh, the main thing from from the from a bumper weekend of uh, junior single-seater racing with, uh, <laughs> I think we had 14 races on on, on Sunday um, overall. We're, we're recording on, on Monday evening, um, a year to the day since Oscar Piastri took his FI Formula 3 championship. And um, he also won the feature race yesterday from, from pole position, took big points in. In the other two races, he had to make some some moves across all three races in the weekend. So, um, before I sort of speak about my my own thoughts on on his weekend as a whole, um, I want to get your your thoughts. So, I think we'll start with with um, Alejandro. Um, what did you make of um, the the championship leader this weekend? I think he did a, a very good job. I mean, he maximized his opportunities. He didn't go crazy when he was in the middle of the pack in race one and two, and then in in race three in the future race where he started from pole, he just went out there and took the wing. So I think he just did what he had to do and scored a lot of points of increase his gap to win the championship. So mission accomplished from this weekend for Oscar Piastri. Mm-hmm. Uh, Roger, what did you what did you make of um, our, our points leader at the moment? Yeah, very similar to, to what Alejandro said. I, I think uh, you know he's he has been kind of Mr. Consistency and has been uh, scoring points really in, in most of the races, been managing, let's say, the risks in, in the reverse grid races. Um, I think we, we've quantified the qualification uh, times or fastest lap times and Piastri came out ahead and obviously pulled ahead slightly further by setting pole for, for Monza and, you know, the... the um, in addition to the, to the two sprint races, the feature race... It's not a given to win from pole um, anywhere and and also not at Monza. And he managed the safety car restarts uh, very well and uh, managed to hold on to the position. I think, um, you know, we, we, we've been waiting for a kind of narrative to, to emerge and it was was good to see the battles between Piastri, Joe and, uh, and Porsche who were who maybe starting to to, to, to pull away in, in from the from the rest of the pack, but it is a, a closely matched pack. So so yes, good performance in some strong racing. Yeah, yeah, certainly. From 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 my perspective, sort of being a little bit more in the paddock, i.e. virtually, uh, if you will, um, I thought it was a brilliant weekend from Piastri, who has been making a statement now for 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 a little bit of time. And this was a weekend really when there was a lot of focus on him um, because of what we uh, are assuming is an F1 snub um, for, for 2022, um, as is just simply, there's just simply aren't any seats for him um, on the grid next year. It, it would appear there's just not the interest in the, in the one remaining seat at Alfa Romeo. 
um, which is amazing, really, when you consider how how I was driving. Roger, you summed up very well, sort of with the with the points about consistency, but also qualifying, and that's really the the place where Piastri's made a big step this year uh, compared to last year. Um, he, he wasn't overly great in qualifying. He he, he never said it was that much of a, an issue before, um, but whatever it is in, in the F2 car, he seems to have uh, got it now like he did in the, in his Formula Renault days where qualifying is de- generally perceived to be a lot more important there. But so taking it back to, to this weekend, I thought it was, um, I, I'm going to title the podcast anyway, Piastri Perfect, um, but he, he wasn't quite perfect, but it just doesn't quite you know sound, sound as good as I if I don't do that but um yeah there are a couple of times where he got caught caught napping a few times I think by by Schwartzman in sprint race one and um I, I think there was another occasion as well at some point during during the weekend but otherwise I thought it was exemplary um picking up the points when it matters stunning qualifying stunning in the feature race um totally owned the weekend and it was the, I was kind of the, the way how I've sort of panned out the season is by assigning one driver as owning each individual weekend and Silverstone was the one that I was very sort of unsure with but I still gave that one to Piastri but with um sort of a kind of an asterisk because um his pace in, in the feature race just was 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 nowhere but on this occasion it's very clear which driver totally owned the weekend and which team owned the weekend um, although there is a little bit of a caveat with that one, um, but it was Piastri who was the, the absolute standout star for of of the weekend. Um, but um, I, I think the the next point really is to talk about his. Um, I've got I've got listed on my like agenda as, as demeanor, but I don't think that's necessarily the right word. But his his body language um, throughout the weekend because he was uh, bombarded with a lot of questions. Um, from selected journalists, including myself, about his Formula One future, and as generally, so I think there's a lot of. I don't think it's necessarily frustration, but I think there's a lot of disappointment from from his side that he's been overlooked for for an F1 seat in in 2022, and I think that's that's entirely valid. Um, as he said, he what more can he do? He said it a few times now. Like, if he if he goes on to win like his third championship in a row, um, which he's on course to do this year, there's literally nothing else that you can do uh, as as a driver. He's aligned with a Formula One team. He's got a former Formula One driver, very successful Formula One driver as a manager. Is he's a likable chap? He's funny brilliant on social media there's literally nothing more that he could do other than start his own formula one team and go from there something like something absurd like that which just isn't going to happen um for him for him to make the grid next year and bethany i suppose i should come come to you next is that just a case of abysmal timing on on piastri's part I mean, it's probably more abysmal timing on Alpine's part, isn't it? They they decided that they were going to... Alpine knew this time... Alpine knew, like, two years ago that they were going to have two, maybe even three drivers ready to come into F1 in 20, 
20, 2021. And then they decided that, that, that no, they weren't going to try to, they weren't going to try to sort that, sort them out a seat or anything. They were just kind of going to leave them hanging. And I suppose it's an unfortunate timing for Piastri in that three drivers went up last year. But it, and realistically, um, uh, Alpine were probably expecting him to do um, one year in F2 as a as a rookie, then a second year to go for the championship, and that didn't happen. But that even then, they've they they've not kind of prepared for any of their drivers to get into F1 this year. So I don't think it's I don't think it's bad timing on Piastri's part. It's it's unfortunate and. But even then, if you say all three drivers have gone up this last year, I think there was still space for more promotions this year. And it is disappointing to not see that because at this point, like, what what's he going to do? I mean, there there is a world outside Formula One, of course, but it, it's if the FIA are going to try to funnel drivers into their feeder series and then their feeder series leaves you outside of where the feeder series feeds into then it's a bit it's a bit of an oversight yeah yeah certainly and i mean i mean with with alpine this year they they have been trying to push well the the academy especially been trying to push their their junior drivers into potential formula one seats but to, to absolutely zero avail as yet um and it, it is, it will come on to, to uh, the political side of, uh, of motorsport in, in a little while as, as another driver sort of brought it up um, as well, or very much brought it up. Um, but I think that as, a, as another big point in that it's, you know, politics is playing a huge role in who slots into where in, into all of these seats as well. Um, we're, we're, um, certain drivers such as well a lot of these drivers are effectively just sort of being used as political pawns um, in in the grand scheme of things which is um, a little bit sort of worrying in in a sense but I don't think that's necessarily anything new um, but Alejandro um, what, what's your take on on the Piastri situation um, it, like I say he's been it's been really tough for him especially when when he is being bombarded with with questions on, on, on a regular basis about his future. Um, he, he, he said that, you know, it's a very, very slim chance of him making Formula One next year. Yes. Um, well, I mean, there are two main problems for, not only for Priasti, for all the Al Alpine juniors to try and get to Formula One. First one is that the only team with Renault engines is Alpine, definitely. And then, of course, the, the team itself, the manufacturer, they got sort of planned to at least they want to try to win the championship from 2022 onwards. So, of course, that's the reason I think that then why they don't want to put a junior driver in their in their in their seats and they haven't managed it well to to find um, a seat for them anywhere else so 
it's a big shame, but it is what it is. And regarding Piastri's situation, I think he's managing it all pretty well in the press conferences with those questions you've mentioned regarding his future, his possible Formula One future, because if he wants, if he wins the, the Formula Two championship, he'll have to go somewhere else or stay one year in the sidelines as a reserve driver, which is not optimal for, for sure. So we'll see, but I think he's, I mean, he's giving the best answers he can because I doubt pretty much that he can say anything else. I, I don't even think he knows more than what he's saying because as we know, all the seats are confirmed apart from that second seat in the Alfa Romeo Sauber team. So there is not much to do and that seat seems not to be for, there for Piastri. So I still have the hope that he's well managed well surrounded with Mark Weber and some others. So I guess that if not next year in 2023, they'll they'll find a seat for him either linked to our 12 pin or somewhere else. Mm. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, Roger, I guess I'll give the the final word on on this topic to you. Um, have you got anything anything else to add, really? Well, I think we, we, we've covered the points also in, in the pieces we've we've put out on the website. I, I think it is a uh, maybe a, a sort of perfect storm of not having enough Formula One teams. Uh, obviously, the, the Alpine uh, only supplying one team, as, as Alejandro mentioned. Um, very few Formula One drivers kind of at the end of their careers. And, and Piastri and others probably overperforming compared to expectations in their in their rookie seasons in in Formula Two. Plus, obviously, the you know the calendar hasn't helped with um, so many of the races coming. You know, at the end of the season after the decisions are being made. You know, this was five out of eight, wasn't it? I think in Monza. So um, you're right. There's or he's right that there's, there's nothing more he can do. And if he does win three titles in a row, which is pretty, which is unheard of, then uh, I think it, it, it's clearly a disaster that uh, that there isn't a space to move up to move up to to Formula One. You would hope that it's just a one year gap, and then he does so. I suppose all he can really achieve is is to be the clear number one candidate in the Alpine Academy. Um, probably Alpine, Ferrari, Red Bull at the moment have quite a number of drivers, and I'm not sure whether even they know who their sort of number one candidate is out of their respective pools. So if he can, uh, at least in, in a strong lineup within Alpine, if he can put himself at the front of that queue, then that's probably the best that he can, that he can aim for. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very good point about academies and it just seems like the, the lead candidate for, for each individual academy just seems to be consistently shifting um, on, on a regular basis at the moment. So like, for example, at the start of 2020, before everything globally kicked off, you would have said Yuri Vips, top of Red Bulls, 
um, list and obviously got leapfrogged by, by Yuki Tsunoda and now people are talking of, of Liam Lawson potentially leapfrogging him as well. And you've got Dennis Halger waiting in the wings as well on top of that. So um, you've got that sort of situation coming into this year. People would have been saying Calamai lot on top of um, Ferrari's um, academy, but... We, it sort of seems to have stagnated a little bit and, and Ilot um, seems to have uh, fallen out of favour a little bit in terms of a, a long-term F1 prospect. Start of last year, definitely would have said Guan Yu Zhou, top of Alpine, or Renault's as it was back then. End of last year, we said a Christian Lungard has probably leapfrogged. Um, and then now we're in a position where, where Piastri has leapfrogged the pair of them um, in quick succession. So it, it is changing on a absolutely right you know consistent consistent basis at the moment so timing is absolutely imperative at the moment it seems like when it comes to, to landing a, a rare uh, ever rarer formula one seat with drivers hanging around for longer um, more and more sons of billionaires ending up being bought formula one teams for their birthdays and and, and things like that so it's becoming a lot more difficult for, for drive, even drivers in, in junior academies to make it into Formula One um, and they need to do it at the right time. So I think we should uh, go back to the, the racing a little bit. Um, it was a big win for, uh, we'll talk about the sprint races, uh, I think, a bit more in detail as well. Um, big win for, for Teo Paul Chair in, in the first sprint race um, on Saturday on a, on a morning where where ART was incredibly strong with Christian Lungard coming from P19 up to P3. Um, but that pace sort of seemed to disappear for the, the rest of the weekend. Um, the, the drivers admitted that they simply screwed it up in qualifying, essentially, um, with, the, with the, the positioning of where they were on the circuit when it came to the toe. Um, so uh, effectively, it was something that Jay Handorovala explained quite well. It's more of a corridor effect. So the further back in the corridor you are, the stronger the toe is in, in qualifying. And that's something that Piastri, Daravala, um, and, and, and co um, executed to absolute perfection. And coincidentally, those are the three teams that are at the back of the pit lane. So read into that what you will. Um, we'll, we'll rattle through some of these topics quite quickly. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll pick just just one of you each, I think, to, to talk about them. So, um, Alejandro, just sort of generally, what did you make of um, ART's weekend as a whole? I think you summed up summed it up perfect, perfectly. I mean, they were really strong. They made the most of the chaos in race out of the chaos in race one, and to. Theo Porcher finished first and then Christian Lungar third, in which is, I guess, well, now he took a podium, uh, another podium at Silverstone, but I mean, it's been a very difficult season for him. And yeah, it was good to see him back in, in the podium where he belongs to. And then, yeah, race two, it was a, a disaster for them, I guess. Porcher had an intense battle with Piastri, which probably Piastri managed it better, taking looking after the tires, and because Pusher dropped massively towards the end of the, of the race. And then the main race, I think they were okay. 
not that strong like in race one, but it wasn't that bad. I mean, Pusher finished it fourth, if I'm not wrong, and then he was in the mix for most of the race, with all the, battling all the cars, and then Lunger came through the field to, to take one or two points, I think. So it's been probably, I don't know if a better weekend than others, at least for Lungar it was because he had the pace to move up through the field and make the most out of what happens on track. Mm-hmm. Yep. And sprint race two, um, and it was an overdue win by his own admission for Jehan Doravala taking his second win in F2, his first win of the season. Um, Roger, I want to get your thoughts like, on, on Deravala's driving his season as a whole, because by our calculations, Carlin has been the, the strongest team in terms of race pace this year. So um, I think that's very fair for, for Deravala to say that it's an overdue second win in this championship. Um, I think it's only the second time or third time that he's took a podium um, this season as well. But the, the driver as a whole was... Beautifully executed, I thought. Um, now at the start, and then um, never looked back after there. No, exactly. I, I mean, I think uh, the win he took was um, was was flawless. I mean, it was a perfect start, and uh, was never really really put under pressure. Um, I think last year he also came on stronger in in the second half. I'm not sure whether there's there's something to that. Um, whether his his season is is sort of late developing and and he's he's on the pace, I, and I guess Carlin have been um, have been there or thereabouts in in most of the races, and and it's just not been Daravala who's been who, who who's been up there. So um, definitely overdue. You know, I think he's he's one of the drivers who's. I, I mean, I I do think it's it's a strong Formula Two field. Um, you know, with hindsight, in a few years' time, we may look back differently. But I, I think it is a strong field, and you know, Daravala is one of those who's sort of on the edge of the the, the the top ten, and on his day, can definitely put in can put in a good performance. But uh, you know, you see what his what his teammate has been doing in in terms of results, or at least uh, speed, not always results, but but speed, and uh, you know, clearly there, there's more potential in there. So hopefully. That bodes well for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. Yep, and we'll get on to his teammate very shortly. But Bethany, um, I don't know whether you're able to to catch qualifying or not. But um, I can't remember which driver it was, but one of the drivers might have been might have been Guanyu Joe. Said it, it was a, a little bit of a mess out there. Um, we've seen very messy qualifying at Monza before in in other categories, namely Formula One and definitely in in Formula Three. Um, but it seemed like Formula Two had its own sort of uh, shenanigans times in qualifying this year um i just generally want to get get your thoughts because piastri thought it wasn't too bad especially compared to formula three um so it seemed like a very mixed reaction i thought that it it got a little bit out of hand at times but then for the the final final runs um it seemed to to be under control yeah it wasn't as bad as we've seen as especially in formula one it wasn't that there was any um, messing about in the dying seconds, but it's it's 
a product of racing at Monza with the slipstream and you'd think all the drivers know this is going to happen every year if you if the stewards were really all or whoever was really serious about making it not happen they they'd be able to legislate for it to not happen to tell them basically just you can't do this and if you're going to do this you you don't get your lap but um but it is what it is and I think it kind of worked out I think most of the drivers were sensible and they knew if we all good if we're all going to mess about none of us are going to get us none of us are going to get a run so it could be better but it could be worse and um it's good to see them not that it wasn't worse that they've matured quite a bit from formula three yeah yeah certainly um so uh, let's talk about daravala's teammate uh dan tictum um took a podium in the feature race uh although in dramatic fashion after an incredible save um on the on the run-up to the della rosa chicane um he was asked in the press conference by by myself um about his Williams exit because there was a little bit of confusion surrounding it about the, the timing and also the the nature of it all um, as to what actually happened, who who actually left who and was it a mutual parting of ways and all that sort of stuff. And he, he wasn't able to necessarily clear up too much, but he did hint um, in, in a later question that it was that it was that he was dropped. Um, and and as as he said, not too many drivers have been dropped from from two F one programs, and I think very few have actually gone on to to make it to Formula One. Although Alex Albon is um, potentially one example of that actually being the case, I need to to read up on that. But it was certainly some interesting quotes from Dan Tickton saying that um, he he's not really. Um, the finished article uh, when it comes to being a Formula One driver. Um, I would certainly agree with that. Um, so just generally when you take everything across the board, there's so much more to Formula One than just being a, a naturally gifted racing driver. Um, uh, and and he, he was talking about how it's very political, it's very unjust at times as well. And that, that does kind of bring you back to, to some of the points with, with Piastri. Um, but Bethany, we, we've spoken plenty about Tictum on, on this podcast. Um, what are your general feelings uh, towards what he what he said over the weekend and um, he, it, the lack of um, a seat that he was going to to get in Formula One? As he said, as soon as Latifi signed, um, that was it. Um, it wasn't going to happen for for next year. Yeah, I, I a couple of years ago I did a thing like what would have happened uh, an alternate history of what would have happened if Tig Tom hadn't got that 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 hadn't done what he did in Formula Four, and though I though we can't judge him, I don't think we should judge him on what he did in Formula Four, given he should really have been coming up in the same crop as Russell and Norris. It's he arguably if his career had started without that impact, then it, he probably would have been in F1 by now, or at the very least kind of in a reserve driver role. But I think he's right in that he's not the finished article. He's a very, very good driver. And I don't think that 
he, I think he gets more hate than he deserves. I think his radio messages, whilst controversial, most drivers have probably had those radio messages, and because they're not the pantomime villain, they don't they don't get the they don't get the hate for it. But um, TikTok's not really been able to kind of get himself into a good light. Um, I, I think he's authentic, but sometimes if you want to get into a Formula One, maybe you shouldn't be as authentic as he is. But if we've been saying that Oscar Piastri and people with um, junior team ties aren't getting into Formula One, then someone who's only tied to Williams, they're definitely not, unless they've like got a billionaire father or uncle-in-law or something. So... So yeah, I think TikTok's got a career ahead of him, but I just it's um unlikely that it's gonna be in F1. Saying that now he will probably be announced for Sochi because that's the last time I said somebody wouldn't get into F1. Of course. Um we'll 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 talk about Sochi another time because that's gonna be uh, a fun old weekend. Um Roger, he, he did say um, sorry, at the end of um, all the things that he said that um, he might just pack motorsport in if he if he doesn't get like a top top drive in, in another championship. What do you think that the future holds for Tickton, given the, the reputation that is gained over, over the past years uh, that he hasn't been able to, to shake off? There are some drivers in other championships who who gained a bad reputation, but but have able to 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 get rid of that um but but Tixon's an example of a driver who's who's never got rid of the bad reputation that, that he's got yes I I mean I do uh do find his his career incredibly frustrating and and something of a shame I mean clearly the talent's there and and you don't win uh you don't win Macau twice with uh without being you know pretty useful um I guess he's, I think Bethany said authentic, you know, he, I guess he's always been fairly confident in his own abilities and, and prepared to express that. Um, assuming, uh, assuming that Formula One really is, is closed. Um, you'd like to think that, uh, you know, IndyCars could, could be an option. Um, drivers tend to be a little bit more authentic, but um, probably also, are well schooled in in giving the sponsors names and think, thanking all the right people at the right times. Um, so he definitely needs to to take on board some of those lessons. You could probably see him in a in a sports car. Uh, well, I, I I think I could. Uh, I don't really see him in Formula E, but um, you know, hopefully there's there's still a strong single seater career, and and you know maybe it's it's Indy cars, which seems to be. The destination of choice at the moment for the Formula Two field, but uh, or maybe a destination of necessity rather than of choice. But um, um, you'd hope that he can, you know, he can learn from it. He he was honest and and he has, you know, I suppose put his hand up. Maybe maybe too late, but that uh, he can learn from it and realise you, know, you can't you can't say those things uh, or have that attitude a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, Alejandro, final word to, to you on Tictum. Um, have you got anything else to add, really? 
Yeah, well, I mean, from my point of view, he's the very best in the Formula 2 grid in terms of raw speed. I mean, he's extremely quick. He has proven that throughout his career. And it's it's a shame that we, we, we won't see him in Formula 1 because I think it will be quite interesting. It's He's such a character. So, and Formula 1 needs that type of drivers. So, yeah. It, it's definitely definitely a shame we will miss that yeah certainly um i think i'll, I'll save sort of my 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 general thoughts on on dan tickton and and his whole career uh junior career as a whole for, for another time i think because we've got plenty to to talk about still um and I, i've uh, I think we should mention Bent Viscal and Trident getting their first podium in, in Formula Two. Um, great result for them. Um, and and Robert Schwartzman taking taking P3 in the future race as well. We've got some good news stories coming out on them in the next coming days. Um uh, I, I think we should also talk about Guan Yu Joe a little bit. It's a little bit weird how we're, we're only now talking about uh, Joe really in depth, uh, given that he's in line for a championship and, and potentially for a Formula One seat um, going forward. So Guan Yu Joe took a podium in the first sprint race and also in the feature race. Um, I think very solid performances uh, across the across the weekend. Qualify P two as well. Just really sort of shaded by by piastri although um i, I think that i i do think the premier was just slightly stronger than, than virtuosi across the weekend and um, perhaps showcased a little bit by by felipe Drugovic's frustrating performances i think that's the best way to to describe them um although i, I thought joe's um podium in, in the first sprint race was was uh, very fine indeed um We'll come to to Roger to, for this question. I think, do you think that he's doing enough to to impress those in in Formula One? Not least the 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 the, the fans who, from from my perspective, well, from my my interpretation, seem to be not necessarily warming to 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 Joe at this point. Yeah, I think the question mark with with Joe is, you know, just the number of seasons that he's been around. I think this is his third season, if if I'm if I'm correct, in, in Formula Two. Obviously, spent some time in Formula Three, so he is quite a bit more experienced than than most of the rest of the field, and I think that's probably what's what's counting against him when when you're looking at some some strong rookies as we as we discussed earlier. What I what I like to look at is is you know the feature races in isolation as let's say a proper championship. So I think one of the problems with the reverse grid is you don't get people coming through and dominating the championship, obviously. And and if you take the points just from the feature races, then Joe would be leading slight by I think two or three points from from Piastri, but they're quite a way ahead of of everyone else, and he's obviously the only person to have won twice in in a feature. So um, the, the speed is obviously there. I thought he, I thought his performance at, at Monza was was very impressive in in wheel to wheel battling. And as I said said earlier, the the, the duels with with Piastri and Porsche particularly, and and is consistently now scoring points after having four races, whatever with when he didn't score. So. Um, 
the, as I said, I think it's it's you know, just having been around for for so long and uh, com compared to the others makes it hard to hard to compare him and he's probably never been a standout talent in any of the categories um, on the way through. Would he be a good Formula One driver? I think he would definitely be respectable. Um, I think he would he would learn quickly and he, he would put in good performances. Is he a future world champion? Probably not. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm inclined to agree. Um, to be honest, I think it'll be what, what I like about Joe is his is got this sort of approach of working very, very hard um, to to try and maximize the best out of what he's got. And uh, that's the sort of approach that that does seem to work very well in Formula One. Um, I, I do think he is lacking a little bit in in terms of consistency. Um, he has a tendency to make a few few mistakes, although that might be more potentially down to the the the, the weaknesses of the virtuosi package. Um, and there are times where he has lacked a, uh, a little bit in in qualifying trim, especially when you compare it to to Calamilo last year, um, and and perhaps the the adaptability when it came to to the eighteen inch rim tires was a. Uh, it took him a little bit too long to to get to grips with that, but that's not something. Well, that's something that I've I've been very vocal about Mick Schumacher in the past, and he seems to have ironed that out as soon as he got to Formula One. Funnily enough, so um, I don't think he'll be a respectable Formula One driver um, if he does make it to to Alfa Romeo. He's very very coy on 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 those saying that his future hasn't been decided yet, um, and I do genuinely believe that's the case. I do believe that. Fred Vasseur hasn't decided at all yet what you know who's going to end up in that seat. Um, some fine qualifying performances from Antonio Giovinazzi will certainly um, certainly put a, a spanner into the works of the F2 drivers' hopes. Um, and if he if he does retain his seat, that means that there'll be no rookies at all on the 2022 Formula One grid, um, which I believe will be the first time that's um, ever happened. Um, but I think that's. That brings our, our Formula 2 um, sort of bit of the, the podcast to a close. And I think, well, essentially it's going to be me rambling for the next few minutes. So um, sorry about that, everyone. Um, but yeah, there's plenty of plenty of um, other chatter going on throughout the weekend. Um, some of the drivers were, were speaking very, very highly about IndyCar, as uh, you would expect. And something that's that we've um, alluded to a little bit already. Um, I had a chance to speak to Marcus Armstrong, who was at the, the Music City Grand Prix in Nashville. Um, Christian Lungard, who, who, of course, raced in, in the Grand Prix of Indianapolis as well. Um, and and Tickdom, who had been linked, albeit quite loosely, with an IndyCar drive as well. Um, so we got all of their thoughts on that, and that was very interesting to see. And I think Armstrong summed it up quite well um, saying that IndyCar is the next best thing after Formula One, um, really sort of cementing a shift from from sports cars as it was in in the mid twenty tens, I think. Um, so that's certainly fascinating to see, and how I, I'm intrigued to see how what sort of impact that has on on the road to Indy going forward when that is still churning out incredibly strong um, drivers, and um, we'll we'll certainly get. I think a, a lot more uh, reaction on, on the Indy Lights title fight between uh, Carl Kirkwood and David Malukas going forward. That really sort of 
um, got quite spicy at Portland, especially in race two, um, when when Kirkwood pulled off a mega overtake on his, on his title rival um, to fight back in that. Um, let's talk very quickly about Italian Formula Four because probably the most highly anticipated um, debut of the year um, in uh, Andrea Kimi Antonelli, Mercedes Junior. Um, uh, incredible, incredible story. Um, as, as a feature on on former scout website from from inside the paddock speaking speaking to the youngster um, his results do not reflect the the performance as a whole so it's important to go and read that feature and to 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 understand um what all the hype about this mercedes jr is is about um on top of that also at the at the red bull ring uh gregor saucy has edged ever closer to the formula regional European Championship title, can he be stopped? Well, we've uh, been able to, to speak some of the, the potential contenders, so do check out that feature on the website as well. And rather strange situation in the GB3 Championship with the title set to be decided depending on how many entries there are going to be in the, in the next round or the final round of the season. So prepare for, for a very short run on on this one it's absolutely absurd for a racing driver to have his crowning glory decided when he looks at an entry list and uh, i think that's absolutely nuts um poor old uh zach o'sullivan and, and bethany can can certainly attest to this one a driver who thought he'd won the british f4 championship last year um turned out he hadn't um and it looks like he's going to be denied a, a crowning glory once again um in, in a race because of a bizarre situation where the because of how the points format works um because you get points for every car you overtake in the reverse grid race obviously if there are not that many cars in the race then you can't get the points that you need to yeah uh, it's just nuts so essentially if all of the teams enter free cars for for the final round of the season then there's a chance that um, Zach O'Sullivan could be denied the GB3 championship but if that's not the case then he's clinched the title um, which I think is ludicrous um, I think I think he wouldn't actually mind having to count and win to count the cars to see if he wins if he actually wins because knowing O'Sullivan's luck he, he he'll end up losing out by one point because somebody overtook a car at one point but that that would be Zach's luck. I mean, yeah, yeah, quite possibly. Um, and maybe we'll have to get uh, Zach's um, thoughts on 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 that as well. Um, uh, when we when we had him on the podcast last year, it was good fun. Um, but yes, that's just my thoughts on on some absolute ridiculousness in in GB3 Championship. Maybe maybe that's a feature idea. Um, top ten stupid ways to to clinch a championship. Um, but yep, that's. That's it, I think, for, for the majority of, of this week. There's so much more else going on this week, so do check out all the, the reports because it was impossible to keep up with with all of the goings-on. Uh, uh, 14 races, I think it was, on, on Sunday across all of the junior championships, which was nuts. Um, but this week, it's quite he- F4 heavy. So if you're a uh, fan of an F4 championship, then you're in luck. Um, ADAC F4 is at Hockenheim. British F4 is at Croft. 
Spanish F4 is at Valencia and Danish F4 is at Jersland. Um, I've probably mispronounced that horrifically, so I am apologising to any Danish fans right now. Um, on top of that, we've got Indy Lights penultimate round at Laguna Seca um, as that championship really um, hot up between Kirkwood and Malukas with $1.3 million on the line. And we've also got some Castle Coombe FF1600. Um, so do check out formlessscout.com and all of the socials for all of the reports, reaction and everything else. We've got plenty of features um, and news stories uh, and more, especially from, from Formula 2 this weekend to, to come. And I guess we'll be back soon with another Formless Scout podcast.